But sometimes we act as if we're just gliding around in the world with no agency, no power in our lives because things are happening to us, the gender pay gap happens to us, um, the gender investing gap happens to us, all the things happen to us. And we know that there is this terrible imbalance. I mean, even when you look at this um, recent climate change summit that's happening, COP26, and they talked about um, the disproportionate impact of climate change on women. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, for God's sake, like, is there anything that doesn't impact women more negatively than men? Like, even climate change, like, that should be equal. Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. This series will be exploring the real-life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges life has thrown their way on the road to success. Each episode will offer a fresh outlook on life and business and you'll also get to hear top tips from these amazing founders that will inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie Longton-Jefferson, and today I'm joined by the incredible Davinia Tomlinson, the award-winning founder of BrainCheck. With over 15 years' experience across the investment management and professional service industries, as well as an executive MBA from Cass Business School and an investment management certificate, Davinia knows her stuff when it comes to finances. Her vision for RainCheck is to help women take control of their financial futures through a three-pillar program offering financial education, qualified and regulated financial advice, and Rainmaker community events. In this episode, we discuss healing our relationship with money, the power of financial independence, and why when women get wealthier, communities benefit too. Davinia also shares her experience of moving her whole life, including her two daughters, to St Kitts in the midst of the pandemic, and why she wants to encourage more women to live life on their own terms. It's safe to say I am completely obsessed with Davinia, and I got very lucky that I got to chat to her. I guarantee you'll be seriously inspired by this episode. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of Bossing It. I am joined by Davinia who is in St Kitts and I'm not at all jealous whilst I am uh, in the corner of my spare bedroom. So Davinia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Connie. Thank you for having me. So obviously we've given a bit of an intro previously, but can you, for anyone that's not familiar with your story and Brain Check and the Rainmakers Academy, could you tell us just a bit about your story and, and why you founded the business? Yeah, so I mean my journey to setting up Raincheck really started like years ago when I first moved to London. Um and I it was my first graduate job and it was within within the investment management industry and I loved it and I still love it. I still love finance. Um, and the thing that struck me even at that very early stage in my career was quite how, first of all, there were very there were ten of us who joined in that cohort. There were only three women. Um, and that picture was really wow. represented um, across, you know, the, and certainly the more senior you became within the organisation, uh, the more male it became. I have to say that fidelity in contrast with lots of the industry, certainly at the time and perhaps, I mean, it's, it's better now. Um, but there were some really powerful women in really senior positions. And I remember, you know, being quite inspired by them. Mm. But still, you know, they, they were in, you know, small number. And that picture was represented across the client base as well. Um, in terms of, you know, when you look across the industry, you look at all of the data that, that highlights quite how small the proportion of assets under management uh, we were looking after on behalf of women were at the time. And so when you fast forward, you know, decades later and you see that this picture is still very much the same. Of course, women have far greater awareness, um, 
much greater confidence, I would suggest, when it comes to managing their money and investing in all of those sorts of things. But I still think that on balance, we should be much, much further ahead. And so Raincheck was really born yeah. out of my desire to, A, you know, recognise that this was a problem, that there was something around financial inclusion that needed to be addressed, specifically as it related to women. And of course, there are a number of other marginalised communities, um, ethnic minority communities, people from certain income backgrounds, etc., that are also excluded. But, you know, thinking about women as a whole, and also the, I guess, the, the impact that tooling up women has on communities, on families, on whole societies. We know the significance of that. You know, if you educate a woman in anything at all, then you're educating and supporting future generations. Um, mm. And the same just can't be said for our male counterparts. Of course, these are generalizations, but I think, you know, when we look at history, you can see that that's borne out in fact. So when I started Raincheck, it was really about saying, you know, it's about time we started to do something to include women in the conversation. Um, I, in my you know, personal life, my own personal and professional networks, was, had the privilege of being exposed to so many talented, amazing, kind of powerful women. And if you had any conversation with them about their finances, of course, because I worked in the industry, people would say to me, oh, Dav, you know, I feel a bit awkward. I've got, you know, I've got this money saved in cash. I know I should be doing something with it, but I don't know what to do. Or they would say, do you think I should see a financial advisor? I, feel, I don't want to talk to a stranger about my money. Can't I just talk to you about it? And even talking to me, they would feel a bit like, oh gosh, you know, we never have money conversations. It's like such a big taboo. And like this week, we've been, we've been running some content on the Raincheck page about Talk Money Week and saying, you know, women or people in general are far happier talking about all other more intimate topics than they are about their money. And you can see the implications of that for, you know, in terms of our financial outcomes. So Raincheck really exists to kind of bridge that gap. And so when I launched it, it was about, you know, really play tapping into my um, investment background and saying first of all I want to get more women investing so we know that women are very diligent savers we are three times more likely than men to open up a savings account in the first place but we're putting that money into oh, cash wow. um wow, and men are outpacing us when it comes to investing so that was something that needed to be addressed so that was the that was our start point really and then as time's gone on over the last three years what has become quite clear to me is that it's not just about the kind of practical act of saying I'm going to invest money it's about the psychology of money and everything that comes with that you know whether you are a high earner a lower income earner you know what what are some of the, the mental blocks that are holding you back from getting financial advice from thinking that you are worthy of earning that amount of money in the first place thinking that you know money is something that you should be able to have an open honest conversation mm. about without having it attached to any feelings of guilt or shame or embarrassment about oh I should be much further along in my career or I should be earning more money or actually I'm earning too much money I'm earning way more than my friends and now I feel awkward you know whatever the case may be mm. and so as a result, Raincheck has really morphed, you know, and grown really organically and beautifully into a wonderful community of rainmakers, all different walks of life, different stages in their careers, different ages, which I think is the, the most amazing thing. You know, that the, the rainmaker community spans, you know, women from their kind of mid to early 20s through to their 50s, which I think is brilliant because you get that richness of, you know, that, that kind of trade off between experience and ideas and a freshness that comes from people who've had lots of different life experiences. So we provide kind of financial coaching, financial advice. They are different. Um, so of course, one is qualified and regulated, which is the financial advice. The financial coaching is much more kind of a guidance-based approach where you're working with someone on a more regular basis and providing that accountability and support. But ultimately, 
what we are trying to do is to make sure women feel good about their ability to manage their money. So I, I try to avoid saying that I am trying to empower women because I think women already have the power. They don't need me or any other organization to give them power. We have the power, mm. but we just need to recognize that it exists and to tap into it and to make it work mm. for us in the way that we work for everybody else. So that is yes. basically rain check. <laughs> it's really interesting, like you said, that I think there's such a clear path that you've been on in terms of that, you know, the world of finance has just always been what you've kind of been doing. So I'm sure so much of your experience from your kind of corporate life has no doubt helped you in what you're doing now. But have there been sort of challenges or have you had to learn to change your mindset around those sorts of things or just even the challenges of setting up a startup? Yeah, I think in the early stages, I mean, of course, because of the way that I work and I really wanted Raincheck to be something that filled a gap that existed so there was a gap that I could see quite obviously existed but I wanted to test it I wanted to know okay this is not just gonna be my five or six um friends or you know the people in my my professional network who've said yeah dab it's a good idea I wanted to test it more widely than that so we did some surveying we did some focus groups and I got people within my wider network men and women to share it with the women that they knew as well so that we could get a really good cross-section of people and the thing that always struck me, you know, particularly in the early stages, was some of the like the nonsensical feedback that I would receive, um, which is which can be quite jarring and destabilizing in the early stages of anything, particularly when you're doing something new. And, um, you know, I'd had the luxury of corporate life for such a long time. Now I'm stepping out on my own. It felt a bit like without a parachute. And then I yeah, had people scary. saying to me, um, you know, are you sure you should focus just on women? Because that market seems too small, mm. Dav, like it's not it's not viable. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I've, of course, I'm a numbers person. And I'm like, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. How can you say that 50% of the population is too small a market? And, you know, there is, there is a whole raft of um, businesses that exist out there and a whole, you know, school of thought that says actually niching down is the way to go and can be a really lucrative way if you're focusing on mm, a very specific sure. need in a niche. You can still run a very successful business. But I'm like, there's no way that you can suggest that women... 50% of the global population and certainly the UK population is a niche. So I was able to discount that feedback quite quickly. Um, but it certainly left an impression on me from the perspective of, do people actually think this, this would explain why we have this problem, that women as a market are just not worth addressing? And if this is a view that's held by the industry, it will explain why we've been excluded from the conversation for such a long time. It will explain why financial advisors are um, not, when, you know, if they see a woman turn up, they're asking questions like, you know, where is your partner? What's your total household income? Um, and other, mm. you know, really, really discriminatory questions yeah, that I'm sure they wouldn't, yeah, of course, language. that they wouldn't ask men. So it really just, you know, it was useful to have those kinds of early conversations mm. to kind of iron that out. And it was particularly, I think, the feedback that resonated most and made me think about, you know, what is it exactly that you're trying to do, Dav, and how should the delivery of it be was a a uh, piece of feedback that I had from this woman and I'll never forget it because it was just so extreme but she was essentially saying you know I don't want to be you know separated from the rest of the population I mean I'm, I'm paraphrasing but she was basically like you know I don't want I don't want it to be viewed like just because I've got a vagina that I want to have some pink pink wrapped yeah. finance um, product like why should I have this I want to have mainstream products and at first, I remember being like, oh, gosh, why do people have to be so dramatic with their feedback? Like she could have just said, yeah, it's not for me. But then I thought, actually, you know, you kind of pick gems out of, you know, positive and negative feedback. And I think the, the utility of that was that 
you can't assume that all women will want a proposition that's run by a woman just because you're a woman. I mean, that is ridiculous to suggest, nor can we assume that, you know, Raincheck was always about, I want to have female financial advisors because mm. first of all, it's so hard to find a female financial advisor. For lots of us, it's such a difficult and intimate conversation in the same way as if we were going to a GP and we were talking about a gynecological sure. problem. We don't want to, you know, I'm sorry to be graphic, but we don't want to drop our pants for a man, a strange man, in a GP surgery. Do you know what I mean? I feel like finance is the same. Like you're exposing your financial underwear and you it want to feel really like you're intimate. doing it. it. It is. It's really intimate. And you want to know that when you're having that conversation, it doesn't mean that women don't judge other women, but you, I think generally we feel a bit less um, intimidated in some of these environments when it's, it's a woman creating, to woman. It's about creating a safe space, isn't it, ultimately? Right. And I think that you're so right that just we don't you know it's a bit like found and flourish like you, it's, we're a gendered community in a, in a way yes. but actually that's it's it's you sometimes need to do that a to start shifting the dial and actually closing right. these gaps you know you have to kind of do something that might not feel organic necessarily to start closing those gaps but it's also just about creating a space where women can come and just be really vulnerable and really honest mm -hmm. and I think with our finances like that's so so important um, Definitely. I mean, you're obviously, you know, like you said, finance and money has been like this really constant throughout your life. But what what was your personal relationship with money like growing up? Because I think, you know, that really is the foundation of everything that we, you know, our attitudes moving forward and, and we have to kind of unlearn things as we get older. Yeah. So what was it like for you kind of growing up and what's your relationship with money been like as you've sort of become an adult? Yeah, I think um, money wasn't really something that was ever discussed in my household so that's mm. something that's quite interesting really I common. think um yeah you know growing up in you know, a very traditional Caribbean household in which you know both of my parents worked but my dad was very much even though my parents earned equally but I think they definitely stepped into this this realm of gender roles you know my dad wanted mm. to feel that he was the main breadwinner and therefore took the casting decision on all finance related matters, wow, really um, holidays, any major purchases, things like that. So that was some, that was a pattern that I observed and certainly mm. something that I'd internalized when I um, became an adult and entered into relationships. Um, so there was that, but in terms of, you know, children being included in the conversation about money, definitely, you know, there was this big thing in Caribbean culture about, you know, you know, it's a very, it's a very inclusive culture when it comes to children. We love children, right? Yeah. But there is definitely this kind of gap between there's a there's a view that certain conversations are for big people, so children mm -hmm. should not be included in them, and money was definitely one of them. Um, but in terms of you know just kind of observing how my parents worked and how they managed their money. It was all very, very boring, very safe. There was nothing, you know, that I would say where, you know, there was no financial dysfunction. There was no, if there was financial distress, one of the things about, and I think this is a cultural thing, um, I, I definitely now as an adult can recognize there wasn't a lot of money. But from my perspective, looking through the lens of a child, anything I wanted, I had. The reason I, I, you know, the reason that was like that was because, you know, we benefited from the village, we benefited from the community. So anything that I wanted, yeah. if my parents couldn't provide it, my grandparents would, my aunts and uncles would. So sure. we had holidays, you know, we changed the car frequently. I had trainers when I wanted them, you know, whatever it was. I don't remember. I had a Game Boy when Game Boys were a thing when they came out in the 90s. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't remember yeah. having any kind of, oh, no, I'm, you know, mom and dad are arguing about money. But I think the catalyst for my journey into finance and I think my recognition of the importance of taking hold of your finances came from my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, 
who I always talk about as being a real inspiration because I think as somebody who had become the head of the household, you know, both she and my granddad worked, she became the head of the household by virtue of my granddad's long-term sickness. So he had to retire early and be ill and um, basically being convalescent. And my grand basically had to step into the, the void of, okay, well, I've always worked anyway, so now I'm just managing the household budget. She but had also a financial being a carer, advisor, I'm assuming. Being a carer. Well. Um, wow. Um, you know, coming coming to the, you know, the completely new country and everything else, um, but still being so financially fearless and buying mm. property and having investments and wow. even just, you know, the way that she would, her relationship with money was such that, if I can't afford it, then I won't have it. So that, again, mm. I think is common in Caribbean culture, certainly the, the older generations. Um, and yeah. this might not even be unique to Caribbean culture, but this idea that you cut your cloth according to your size. So, you, you know, you try not to get into debt. The idea of yeah. buy now, pay later would just make them bristle because they'd be like, well, you could yeah. buy now, pay later means you can't afford it. So to mm. them, it was just, you know, being very resourceful with their money, supporting others in the community if they needed it. You know, there were partner hands. There were, you know, ultimately, you know, community-based credit union type, um, institutions wow. that they had to create yeah. for themselves because at a time when they couldn't get access to mainstream finance because of entrenched racism and, and whatever else yeah. they had to create it for themselves so that resourcefulness definitely came wow. through in my grand's money management um, and she had a financial advisor she was the first person I knew in my life to have a financial advisor and when you look at you know this woman this Caribbean woman in her 50s we're a very working class family and, you know, you would typically associate people that need financial advice or have financial advisors with people that are of a certain income bracket, of a certain yeah. um, socioeconomic group. And my gran was basically defying all of those conventions and being like, well, I need to know how to manage my money. And she's managed it very well. So she's That's really, amazing. you know, massive inspiration. I guess she's a real shining example, I suppose. Like you said, not by choice necessarily, but financial independence. And yes, I think that is such a common thread that, A, I know goes through a lot of what you do. But I think, again, like talking about experiences, you know, I'm a child of divorced parents and financial independence was this thing that was drummed into me. Like, you know, you need mm. to, no matter what happens, no matter, you know, you get married, you buy houses, you need to maintain some financial independence so that you are never trapped in a situation or tied to somebody, you know? Right. And I think as women certainly like our generations of women I think we are really taught that so what does financial independence mean to you and how important is it yeah um I think for me as somebody that's divorced myself mm. and I've got two daughters yeah. the thing that I always say I'm I as much as I, I'm a big believer in the power of the collective um, whether mm. that's what you know I always you one of the thing the themes that you will see come through quite a lot through the rain check feed is the importance of having open honest conversations with your partner about money yeah. and making sure that you're keeping regular money dates um, and that you don't mm. break them and that you know money isn't a taboo topic because the consequences of you not having these conversations about your finances it impacts everything else like it leads to a kind of tension or friction um, but the reason I, I you know I highlight you know being divorced is that definitely there's a shift in mindset so there you know there are certain mm. milestones in a woman's life aren't there when you know you you kind of evolving and your thoughts and perspectives on how you should be doing certain things change so of course when you leave home you go off and you start a job maybe I mean these, these are stereotypes but maybe you're, you, you can afford to live more hedonistically and do the things you want to do with wild abandon because you don't have anyone to be responsible for except yourself 
And then, you know, you might shift into a relationship with someone and then, you know, maybe you're, you're trying to build something together. Sometimes we get married and then that shifts again because suddenly there are legal implications to lots of these things as well. When you become a mother, again, your, your approach changes. And I think for me, when I got married, I was still very much because I'm so, I was so used to, at that point, I'd lived by myself for a really long time. So I was so used yeah. to running my own household that I was very fixated on financial independence. I found it really mm. difficult to, um, to have merge any kind of financial, sort of fi- yeah, merge, it, merge, merge our, our financial worlds together, to have any kind of financial dependence on my husband. And, I, and that was definitely the same on his side as well. And you can see, like, it's, it's basically like these two big personalities colliding um, because everybody's trying to ring fence their own thing and you're not, you know, that we're not creating something that is joint. Hence why I think it's so important that, and this doesn't mean, you know, you have to have a joint account or anything like that. It's more about the, you know, the practicality of have conversations about what you're doing. Are your financial goals aligned? Um, are your life goals aligned? Are you going on walking on the same path? Because even if your approach differs, then at least, you know, you're pointing towards the same thing. So I think for me, financial independence is exactly what you've described. It's just not being in a situation where you can be trapped. Um, it doesn't mean being so independent that you exclude yourself and you are isolated um, and that, you you know, you become secretive and, and almost, um, I don't know, almost neurotic about your money. It's not that at all, but it's about making sure that you, you're in a position to hold your, you know, hold your own corner if something goes wrong, particularly when things go wrong, that you're not in a situation where you're, as I say, where you're trapped. You know, we talk about the F off fund um, and it's quite tongue in cheek, but, but it's really important that women feel that they've got some part of money. Um, you don't, and it doesn't have to be that this is something secret and you, you know, you don't talk to your partner about it, but that you've got some money that gives you a level of comfort and confidence that I'm entering into this situation wholeheartedly, whether it's work, your love life, whatever else. But if something goes wrong, I've got a safety net. So I'm not going to be left destitute. That's really, really important. Do you think that, because I think we, when we're talking about financial independence, I think obviously there's the having the maybe money, the, you know, the actual physical money. But I think there's also a having the confidence, having the language to know how to navigate the financial world. Because I think, um, not necessarily in my relationship, but I think there are some relationships where the guy's like, well, I know what I'm, what's going on with the bills. I know what's going on with this, yeah. you know. Don't you worry about it. You know, you just transfer me the money if we're doing it equally. But I've, you know, don't worry about it. And I think that's what, you know, Raincheck is doing so amazingly. It's like kind of let's get women talking about money and finances. Where do you think that sort of taboo or like that doesn't need to be talked about or I'm not part of this conversation? Mm. Where do you think that comes from and how can we shift that? And I mean, how are you shifting it with Raincheck? Yeah, I think there are... There are almost three sources if you were to take them in order. So you're kind of starting from your primary socialization in the family. Um, and of course, these things are cyclical because those people will have been, will have received influences externally. But your primary socialization as, as a small child, if you're not being, if, first of all, I suppose if you observe differences in how, um, if you have a brother, for example, and, and the conversations that your brother is having, are different than the conversations you're having, then that's the first thing that you think, you know, okay, well, there's a difference here already. Um, but even if you don't have a brother, it might be something that maybe um, you and your brother are treated the same in this respect. But certainly I think there is something that starts in the family. 
you may be watching, you know, as a young woman, you might be watching your mom and seeing, you know, how does she interact with dad? Or, you know, if she's a single mom, like how is she managing her money? Where do some of her beliefs about money come from? And now am I going to adopt those same patterns or am I going to be completely opposite? So for example, you might have had a mom who was completely frugal or lived in a household that was completely frugal. And now rather than you being really frugal as, as an adult, you might be someone that's completely financially reckless because suddenly you're out of the straitjacket. So it can manifest itself in a number of different ways. But you know, when we talk about these money scripts um, and the different ways that our relationship with money can manifest itself, the home is really where it begins. That's where we inherit those beliefs from. And then you've got this kind of secondary layer, which is then you go out into the world, now you're an adult, and you've got the opportunity to decide, okay, am I going to continue what my parents were doing or am I going to go, that seemed a bit warped. Now I've got to try and re-educate myself around what I should be doing. But you go out into, into the workplace and you see, first of all, you hear all of this stuff about the gender pay gap, the gender investing gap, and I think sometimes that does us a disservice because that's all you hear and it becomes like, mm. it's like it seeps into the fabric of it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Definitely. Like, like you could yeah. be minding your own business and you might have gone into work thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I love this job. I've negotiated a really good salary, maybe. Um, and then you hear all this stuff and you're like, am I being paid properly? I don't even know. Like there's a gender pay gap. Is, is Bob being paid more than me? I don't feel good mm. about this. And now suddenly you're kind of shrinking yourself. You've got the imposter syndrome. It's self-fulfilling prophecy, as you say. You, you just start wow, to panic right. and worry. And I think, you know, there are other things that will happen in organizations. You see Bob getting promoted ahead of you, even though you're the person that trained Bob. So he only knows how to do that job because of you. You know, there are other things like this where you start to get the impression. Magazines, you know, Starling Bank did that great mm -hmm. study, Make Money Equal, that talked about the differences and all of these messages that the media are shoving out there all the time. So preliminarily, we're picking them up, which is, you know, our relationship with money should focus on discounting or coupons. Like, who the hell cares about coupons? Like, who's got time to be... I mean, I know no one's cutting out a coupon anymore. It's not the 80s. But, like, who is focused on that as really smart, savvy women? Yeah, you might want to get a discount on something, like or a free prep coffee or whatever, but it's not going to move the needle. What we care about is how can we build wealth? But the magazines are not talking about that or mainstream media is not talking about that. So you start to think, okay, well... I don't really know anything about that, so I'm going to opt out of that conversation. And then I think the third and perhaps most powerful layer from my perspective, it's the thing that I, all, that I obsess over with Raincheck, is our personal responsibility. Because I think we don't talk about that part enough. We don't talk about the bit that we can do. So yes, there is, there are, there's a lot that we inherit from our families. There is a lot that society is trying to tell us, which is BS. But then the personal responsibility has to come in. If you think about, okay, when you become a mom and, um, or even if you're a godparent or whatever, you're trying to do the best thing for that child. You're not going to feed them poison in their mind. You're going to tell them they're amazing, they're smart, they can do anything. If your three-year-old comes to you and says, oh, mommy, I want to be an astronaut, you'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. You'll take them to the museums, you'll buy them the books. You want to feed their minds with, with all of this kind of, um, this healthy stimuli. With us, we, we act as if, occasionally okay this is generalization but sometimes we act as if we're just gliding around in the world with no agency no power in our lives because things are happening to us the gender pay gap happens to us um the gender investing gap happens to us all the things happen to us and we know that there is this terrible imbalance i mean even when you look at this um recent climate change summit that's happening cop 26 and they talked about um, the disproportionate impact of climate change on women. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, for God's sake, like, is there anything that doesn't impact women more negatively than men? Like even climate change, like that should be equal. But the point is, we, there are all of these things that are happening. 
which we're not able to directly influence right now. But there are things that we can directly influence and we don't do them. So we don't go and advocate for ourselves in the workplace and speak up and say, sorry, okay, yeah, you're not going to pull the rug from under Bob, but you are going to say, I, I deserve a promotion for these reasons. This is the value that I'm bringing or you know, the, my, in the market, when you're going out to, you know, you've been offered a job and you're about to negotiate, you'll be going, oh God, like this is more money than I've ever been paid in my life. So I feel ungrateful to ask for more. You still got to ask for more because if the market is paying X, then you need to be paid X. Don't take Y because you're grateful. That it just, gratitude doesn't come into it. This is just business. <laughs> and I want us to adapt that mindset. I want us to adopt that energy and to be like, these are all the things that I can't control, but these are the things that I can and everything mm. that I can control, I'm going to control. That's the area. That's our sphere of influence right now, that personal responsibility. Mm. And that's the, the bit. When we talk about at Raincheck helping women build sustainable long-term wealth, it's because we're focusing on the personal responsibility because we can't change the gender pay gap overnight and all the other things. But we can change this part that we're doing. So that's my thoughts. I think what you just said about gratitude not coming into it, I think especially as entrepreneurs, if we, you know... We're living our dream. We've like, you know, followed our passion. We've, you know, whatever, which is obviously amazing and really fills us up. And that's great. But then I do think that that sometimes it's really difficult to feel like you want to ask for more money or you want to mm. raise your rates or, you know, those things. Because I think we do kind of feel, especially if you've quit, like maybe a corporate job to go and do this, yeah. then you're kind of like, well, I've sacrificed. I've sacrificed the big money to follow my dream. And that's fine. And I'm grateful that I get to yes. do that. And, you know. I, you know, and I think it's so that's such an interesting nugget that I'm going to take away because we really don't have to just be grateful and take what's there. Like we're allowed mm. to want more. We're allowed to dream bigger. Definitely. And we do want to be grateful. This is the thing. Like I don't say that's to say we should be mercenary and ruthless, which no, I mean, none of us are. That's the thing. Those are balance. stereotypes about the ice cream. But definitely mm. it's kind of recognizing there is a time and a place for gratitude. And there are also different levels of gratitude. You have to show yes. gratitude to yourself for giving, you know, for you having the expertise and the talent, which enables you to go out and market yourself and treat yourself as the asset that you are and say, mm. in gratitude to myself, I am going to get the most value I can get out of this asset. Mm. We are the asset. We mustn't forget that. I love that. <laughs> I'm, I, I think, you know, I'm sort of jumping around here because I, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but what's really coming through when you're talking is a confidence that you a have around talking about money but I think also that comes from I think financial stability can give us confidence in many different mm. ways and I know you and I kind of spoke uh, before this interview and we were both really aligned on you don't like money might not buy you happiness but it can buy you freedom it can give you security and sometimes those are the same things yeah. so I'd really like to get your thoughts on you know how money can make us happier and can give us more choices and why there's no shame in wanting that yeah it's such a I mean this is one of the things that that I debate regularly because I'm always interested in different people's perspectives mm. and I think the, the the best way to view this is if you were to say okay let's say you're somebody that's living comfortably right now and you have the privilege and the luxury of being able to say money doesn't buy me happiness I get I get my happiness from reading my book or spending yeah. time with my dogs because I love dogs or travel. And it's like, the fact that you have a dog and you can feed the dog means that you have some money to facilitate that. Or you wanna sit and read your book, that means you don't have to worry about the light going off 
because you didn't pay the bill or that, um, you know, your mortgage provider is going to be, you know, hounding you for mortgage payments. I think that we have to be very careful about, you know, and of course, I'm not suggesting that we should conflate money and happiness and say, you just sitting in your room counting your money like Scrooge you know, in this really yeah. warped way, is the happiness, like that's ridiculous, or you bathing in dollar bills like P. Diddy, that's not the happiness either. Be fun for a night, maybe like I on think a Friday, you might be, but... and for like a photo opportunity. <laughs> but outside of that, it's what is the money doing? Money is just the tool. It's neither positive nor negative, really. Yeah. So it's how am I working that tool? It's the same way, you know, we talk about Rain Check and me saying I'm tooling women up. How are we working the tool? We are quite often, you know, we've got all this expertise anyway. That is one of our tools. And we have to think about how we use all of the tools at our disposal. So you might use one tool today and a different tool tomorrow. Money mm-hmm. is one of the tools. And if there are things that we're clear in our own minds, quite often um, one of the challenges for us is not so much about whether or not money can buy happiness. It's that we don't even know what happiness is to, to mm-hmm. us individually. We think that our happiness comes from, you know, you might be influenced by other things. You go on social media. All of us do it. I, I do it as well, particularly during lockdown. And you're watching other people's lives and you're thinking, gosh, that looks really nice or... Um, you know lots of people are moving here or there you know they're moving outside London and they've got loads of land and maybe that will make me happy maybe I should do that and you're never really that sure but when you have this clarity around your life goals then you're able to put your financial goals in place to be aligned to them and that makes a big difference because suddenly the finance becomes as it should be it plays the supporting role you're the main star in your life the finance is kind of the support act what the finance is trying to do is hold you up and make sure you can do the things that you are clear in your own mind about what you what you want to do the finance is kind of the roadmap, and you're just kind of the star kind of you know dancing on the yellow brick road to get to where you want to get to and so that's very much how I see it when people are really dismissive of it I think it's because it comes with a sense of privilege there are people if you were to ask people that lived in in, um, emerging market countries um, in really impoverished communities even in the UK you know, we talked yeah. about Marcus Rashford um, receiving the MBE. Yeah. When you consider that all of the work that he had to do during lockdown and him sharing his story about growing up in a really impoverished uh, household where his mom had three jobs. And in the interview I watched, she was saying, you know, there were some night times that we only had a loaf of bread in the house and there were five kids or however many children there were. Um, he recognizes the value of money and what money can do. So the money is not bringing you happiness, but it provides you with just even just the baseline so when yeah. you can, you can't, you know, when you sit from a position of money doesn't buy me happiness, it's because you've got enough. That's why I believe you're able to say that. 100%. And so I think it's important that we kind of shift uh, thinking around. It doesn't mean you've got to run outside and be proclaiming to the world, oh my God, I love money so much. And like money really makes me happy. It's not that, but it's just recognizing it's this kind of quiet recognition and confidence in the fact that these are the things I want to do with my life. And this is how money is going to help me to get there. And these are some of the other things that are required. You know, I might need a supportive team. I might need, you know, Mm. family members that are going to give me the space to do the things I want to do. But money is absolutely a facilitator. And I think we shouldn't, we should check our privilege. Privilege manifests itself in a number of different ways. And in that debate, definitely, it screams out when people are saying a dismissive and act like money is not a feature at all so many examples of people that are living sort of maybe off-grid lives or like cashless lives and they're self-sufficient and which obviously more power to those people and like that is for some people that's like oh my god that's my ultimate dream you know whatever in 10 years time I want to just disappear like you said into the cabin in the woods but like what do you how much money do you need to get there exactly realistically how much money so if if that that might you might say I'm going to work really hard for the next 10 years and I'm going to really earn a lot of money and I'm going to be really smart with why I invest it and then down the line Mm. I'm going to take that nest egg that I've built 
and I'm going to go and live this really self-sufficient kind of quiet life. Yes. But you can't just click your fingers and have that. Exactly. Unless you've got, you know, the privilege of having a lot of money the whole time. So Precisely. Like you said, money will always play a role in facilitating us pursuing bigger goals that maybe aren't related to money necessarily, but mm. it's still going to facilitate it at some, it's going to play a role at some point. And Definitely. we can't really I mean, deny that. Even if you were to just take that question at a very kind of baseline level and, you know, you force people to say, you have to say yes or no, does money buy happiness? I would say yes. Unequivocally, mm. I would say yes, because, okay, well, and this is what I mean about defining the happiness. What is the happiness for you? So it might be, I want to be really spiritually wealthy. I want to be emotionally wealthy. I want to be physically wealthy. Because wealth, of course, is not just financial. So you might say, well, because I've got the money, the money can buy me a PT. The money can buy yeah. me a nutritionist and a therapist and a masseuse. And all of these things help me to be my best self holistically. So then money bought the happiness then. Yeah. You, you maybe don't want to say it like that, but you know what, when you strip everything back and we take away the flowery language and, and stop trying to make people feel good about it. I mean, it really does. I'd be interested yeah. to hear thoughts from people who are like, no, it doesn't, Dav. And I always love these conversations because you know, if, yeah. I can, if my mind can be changed, then I'm always up for it being changed. <laughs> I really, like you, you've spoken in various places around, you know, living life by your own rules and making choices and kind of, you know, all that sort of thing. And I think a really good example of it is, as I mentioned at the start of the, the, the show, that you're in St. Kitts and you weren't in St. Kitts 12 months ago, were you? No. So can you tell us a bit about that? And I think it's a really good example of money being able to facilitate security enough for us to follow our gut and our intuition to do something really exciting. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, moving to the Caribbean was a goal of mine, or at least it started as an aspiration Probably, I mean, for a good 10 years. And at first it kind of started as a kind of, oh gosh, I would love to do that. So St. Kitts, you know, half of my family from St. Kitts, the other half are Jamaican. I love the Caribbean. I love both islands. St. Kitts is very small. I mean, there are, there are only 30, 35,000 people here. Very small island. It's a bit like living in neighbours for anybody. I always say things <laughs> that, that like we might let people know that I was born in the 80s. Um, but like anybody that grew up on neighbours or home and away, like it's those like really kind of close-knit small communities. St. Kitts is a lot like that. Very sleepy, really idyllic in lots of ways. Very slow in other ways. We'll talk about that. Um, but it was always kind of, you know, it's in my mind, like, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. And originally I was like, well, how can I make that happen? Because I don't want to, particularly working in finance when I was working some extremely long hours. And I was like, I don't want it to feel like, you know, I'm going to run myself into the ground. I'll burn out and then I'll retire in the Caribbean when I'm, you know, hopefully at early retirement. and I'll, I'll retire at 50 and then I'll, at which point I'll be so popped down and I won't be able to enjoy it. So that really wasn't the dream. So I couldn't really figure out for a long time. It was just in my mind. And every time I would come here on holiday, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I feel so relaxed. The stress immediately leaves my body um, when I you know, step off the plane. And I wanted that feeling. So it's trying to capture that feeling. And I knew that this was the right environment for it. So before lockdown, before the pandemic, I'd started to put the framework in place. And I've talked about this with the Rainmakers at length because particularly because I have children as well. It wasn't just a case of me being able to say, right, I'm just going to pick up myself and move to another sure. island. Raincheck is digital, so I can run it from anywhere anyway. So that was the beauty of that. And I knew that, you know, one of my driving principles for life is freedom in mm. anything. Freedom in my career, freedom um, 
I guess, I don't want to say freedom from other people because it makes me sound like I hate people. But, you know, I just like the idea of being It's like an independence, free. I suppose. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and so when I was setting up Raincheck, it was always on the basis that outside of meetups and events, I wanted the ability to be able to work from anywhere. That was really important to me. Um, but when I started to put the plan in place to move out here, I was like, okay, what are the different things? What are the different costs that are going to be associated with it? So there is a financial cost, of course. And I was able to be quite clear about what that might look like, living expenses, how they differ from London, much better. Um, but, you know, all the things like that, you know, what's the emotional cost, you know, of moving two small children away from their family, away from their environment? Um, the mental cost for me, you know, and, and basically totting up and the opportunity cost of living in a small island versus living in a big city. What's the trade off? Yeah. What am I going to gain? What am I going to lose? And being clear in my own mind as to the total cost across all of those different metrics and whether or not I was willing to pay the price. I mean, that was essentially mm. the, the big question. Now you know the yeah. costs associated. If you can afford the financial cost, great, but can you afford the mental cost? Maybe mm. now is not a good time because like you're so depleted of running from running the business and with the girls and everything else. You know, we were co-parenting, so that was good, but it requires a level of effort to make sure that that's working effectively. So all of these things come with costs, and I think it's important that we recognize that not all costs are have a price tag attached to them financially. But then once I was clear in my own mind as to what I wanted to do and I'd spoken with the people that needed to be involved in the process, you know, it is a team effort. Then we just, you know, we just kind of leapt. But the thing is, I'm somebody, you know, I'm free spirited in the sense that I'm somebody that will leap. I will happily leap without a parachute because I'm so optimistic that I believe someone's going to toss me a parachute before I hit the ground. Mm. I always believe that or I will generate a parachute in midair. Mm. I have that belief. I mean, it leads me down some really bad cul-de-sacs sometimes, but for the most part, <laughs> um, over the course of my life, it's been really powerful and effective. Being an eternal optimist has led me into some great experiences and opportunities that I wouldn't otherwise have had. So it's another example of, you know, mindset being so powerful, but also there has to be some planning. You can't just leap into things, but you have to be clear about what it is that you want to do, why you want to do it, you know, and have this kind of as a North Star. So everything that you're doing, is it kind of driving you towards that goal or is it detracting from the extent to which you're able to achieve it? You know, and, and knowing, you know, with every action that you take, if, if it's doing one or other of those things, just knowing on balance, actually, should I be doing this or should I be doing something else instead? Um, so when we moved out here, you know, I really felt like it was kind of, felt like the pinnacle of human achievement trying to move in lockdown. So we came out here last December and it's been brilliant. But what I realized for my life is that, I work best in environments in which I can create and I can think freely and I can innovate. And it's been, it's just been amazing. It's been an amazing experience for the girls. Children are way more adaptable than we think as well. It's harder for me to adjust. It was harder for me to adjust to this environment than them. They started school two weeks after we arrived here because we've been in quarantine, made friends on the first day and had a play date that weekend. I, on the other hand, have no play dates. So I have to go out and find <laughs> friends. <laughs> um you, it really is different but yeah do you think I mean I just I love that and I'm so glad that you you kind of like you said took that risk it was a calculated risk but you you mm. went for it do you think that eternal optimism and that you know thinking right I'm gonna leap and I'll figure it out like it'll all work out do you think that also is your attitude towards finance when it comes to things like investments that might be deemed riskier or you know, do you, and do you think that that risk-taking 
calculated risk taking. Um, yeah. Or no, what do you, you call it something? Is it reckless caution? I've heard you. Yeah, reckless caution is the opposite of when we think that we're being, you know, that we're managing our risk effectively, but what we're doing is doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. So like going for it sometimes, even if it seems a little bit scary. Yeah. Do you think that that's a really powerful mindset shift that if people can maybe get a bit of that, they might see the financial benefit in the long run? Definitely. I think, you know, ultimately, when we think about money management, it is the, it is the, a really good analogy, actually, you know, thinking about it from the perspective of risk and kind of assessing mm. probabilities all the time. And, you know, I'm not expecting anybody to be a mathematician, like, but ultimately, with every yeah. decision that we take, everything that we do every day, you're kind of calculating probabilities, aren't you? The probability that, you know, something might turn up on time or not. And if it doesn't, what are you going to do? If it does, then great. And then what are you going to do? You know, it's all the time you're thinking is that these decision trees that you have in your mind that you may not necessarily, nobody's consciously aware of like, well, if, if yes, then why? And if no, then like you, we're not doing that. But ultimately, mm. you know, we're taking risks every day. And I think money is one of those areas that I think we can be far more cautious than we need to be. And what is required is just, you know, again, to recognize it in the same way as we recognize that there are risks associated with other things, that we're just trying to calculate the probability of success. And you're not guaranteed success in anything in life. You're not guaranteed success every single time. But I'm sure most of us can attest to the fact that when we've had, you know, the best feeling or um, the best outcome, it's when we've taken a risk, it's when we've done something that we wouldn't otherwise do, for example, or we've pushed ourselves a little bit and it's succeeded. And you feel so good, you feel way better than the things that you do the same way every day. Even if it's something as basic as like cooking something new, like you, you might have, you know, your repertoire of things that you know you cook really well. And then suddenly you decide, okay, I'm throwing a dinner party. I'm gonna try this new appetizer. Let me see if that's gonna work. And then it works and you're like, oh my God, I'm so happy that I tried that because I wasn't gonna, on a very small level, there are things like this every day. We're taking risks all the time. And it's important that we think about our money in that way. So you're taking calculated risks in the sense that you're not trying to take on more risk than you can afford to bear. So you want to ch check your capacity. You don't want to be someone that's kept up at night because you're worried about your money. And you check your tolerance for risk. You know, can you afford, how much can you afford to lose with some of these investments? But then beyond those things, it's kind of taking a leap and starting small and building up incrementally, which I think is the approach for everything in life that we want to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that if we can all take anything from this conversation, I think just that so that image of like jumping, like skydiving, like you're jumping, yeah. like you know there's a parachute there and that like elation when you're like, God, this feels so scary. But when yeah. you, everything's fine, you're just like, you feel so alive. And I think like you said, it's that freedom and just kind of going for Absolutely. And um, so before we go, I really want to ask you for your top kind of tips. Um... So what would be your top tip if someone was listening to this now and they want to kind of do something today that can take a step towards, you know, kind of wealthier life? What would that be? Um, and that could be wealthy in terms of money or wealthy in terms mm. of rich and free, you know? Yeah, I think it's to because this is something anyone can do, whether they've started their investment journey or not. You know, with all of these things, I, I'm really interested in the psychology of money and our relationships with money. Mm -hmm. And so I think for anyone listening, it would be to start to interrogate our own mindset around how we manage our money and identifying some of the ways that we hold ourselves back. And that can span a multitude of different things. It could be, you know, in the ways that we're managing our budget. So, you know, could that be a bit tighter? It might be you haven't started your investment journey and you need to. It might be that 
you're invested in a, pen- a workplace pension and you don't even know where it's invested and you don't know how much is in it and you don't know if you're making the most on your contributions. Um, you know, not, not raising your prices when you know that you need to because they've been the same for three years. Like whatever it is, it's just kind of taking a step back and going, how can I, you know, really look into my own money moves and to just, just you know, very casually, you can even like write, write them in notes in your phone and go, what are some of the ways I'm holding myself back from achieving my, my full wealth potential and also not to be afraid of the word wealth like we talk about money all the time we talk about personal finance and all of that but there is nothing wrong with say with talking about wealth because it's a different thing for different people and I think it's important to say that like if you you know what what does it mean to be a wealthy woman and for you it might be something different than someone else and you know being clear about that in your own mind is the first step so that would be what I would say it's that kind of you know starting that conversation with yourself first of all yeah I can see myself going and doing some like money journaling this afternoon (laughs) (laughs) and just really getting into it okay so if that was so that's kind of around shifting the mindset around money what would be um like your top tip for someone who wants to get into investment but is just a little bit nervous what's a really good starting point yeah I think um, tech has really opened up the market for this and made it way more accessible than ever before for people who, you know, are a bit uncertain, don't know where to begin. So I would start with one of the robo-advisors or one of the fintech platforms or apps. Um, And by robo-advisor, it's basically, you know, trying trying to mimic the experience of a human financial advisor in tech form. So, for example, Wealthify is one. Nutmeg is the UK's largest Wealth Simple, which is a Canadian brand, um, but one of those options. Basically, I think you can start with with at least one of them from a tenner a month, twenty five pound a month, um, and it will take you through a series of questions. It will take you, you know, so it will help you to feel comfortable about where you want to invest. You know, you might be investing ethically, for example, because that's important to you. Um, it will help to uh, to identify your risk tolerance and, and give you a really good understanding of your risk profile. So it's a useful education exercise as well. But I think it's, you know, just starting with a really small amount of money and then building up when you start to feel comfortable with it and start to feel good about the fact that you're investing, then build up your money slowly, always knowing that over the long term, and we're talking kind of, I mean, the data show like on an 18 year basis, you know, and beyond stock market investing in history has always outperformed cash saving. So I think once you get past the point of having, you know, your rainy day fund, whatever that looks like for you, then think about investing. And certainly if you have children, definitely don't start a cash savings fund for them because they can't get access to the money anyway. Neither can you until they're 18 if it's in an ISA. So if you're in a junior ISA for them and it's cash, shift it to stocks and shares and give them the Mm. best opportunity to maximize their returns over the long term and keep that energy for your ISA too. I see so many rainmakers who do that. For their kids and then I'll say where's your ISA and they'll go oh dad it's in cash <laughs> so it's kind of keeping that energy for yourself but definitely just start small and build up slowly um, so I've given some examples of the robo advisors there are also um, apps like I don't know Moneybox which I'm a big fan of just because it's a great kind of starter starter investing platform and it will just round up the spare change from every purchase you make when it reaches a certain amount it invests it for you into a general investment account really really good very simple so if you're somebody that's just trying to familiarize yourself with the world of investing how it works and to have some little nudges that they send you they're very good with the content um money box is another good option too but avoid cryptocurrency if you're oh my gosh i was like how we've actually managed to make it the whole way through without talking about crypto (laughs) 
I don't think a, I don't think a, a male podcast about finance. <laughs> But um, I mean, that's probably a conversation at the time, but that's a good takeaway. Don't yeah. worry about crypto. Yeah. <laughs> Just stay Not away from it. Yeah. Um, and finally, you know, if someone is just maybe hearing your story and just itching to like live like they're on their own terms and take some risks in terms of their lifestyle and what they're doing, but they're a bit afraid, would your energy be the same when it comes to investing? For like investing our money and investing in ourselves? you want people to have similar energies. By the sound Definitely. Of Definitely, because I think one of the things that I love most about this work is that, first of all, I love women. So I've grown up in a very matriarchal household. I think that has definitely been the catalyst and has helped me with the relationships I'm able to forge with the Rainmakers because I love it. Like all the Rainmakers mm. are so different, but I just love the, the, you know, the opportunity to work with them and to help them to see things about themselves that they don't, they wouldn't otherwise see. So I'm like the best type woman. And I think, mm. you know, I treat that, you know, I take that responsibility very seriously so I would want people the baton that I want to pass to them is I'm hyping you I want you to take this baton now and be the hype woman in your own life that's really mm -hmm. important so yeah definitely don't do anything don't take any risk that's greater than you can bear but feel mm -hmm. ready to kind of take small risks small steps towards achieving you know the life that you really want and don't worry about what other people think about it do what you want to do it's wonderful so Dav how can people find you support you work with you I know that there's another Rainmakers Academy coming up next year yes. is it so yeah how yes in January um, so if you go onto the website and just and join the mailing list that's a great place to begin so raincheck.com so that's raincheck.com um, and you'll see emails coming out in the next few weeks up until year end just talking about the Rainmakers Academy sharing testimonials of some of the amazing women who've been through the academy as well so you can kind of get a feel for is this right for me is this not it will be because we love all women um so the rainmakers academy but also you know following us on socials we're best on instagram we're not so good on twitter i have to say um but yeah you can follow us at raincheck on all social media too and we have a podcast that's new oh. yeah that's a new thing yeah, we've got the Let's Make It Rain podcast and we're having conversations about how women can live their lives entirely on their own terms and unapologetically. So for oh, anybody that likes wonderful. that theme, then you can find the Let's Make It Rain podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. So that's a new thing too. It's only a week old. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, that's wonderful. Vinita, thank you so much. And yeah, I'm really, really grateful, but I'm I'm going to go now and you're going to go off into the beach and it's going to make me quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I've got loads of work to do today, but yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Bossing It podcast. If you can spare a couple of seconds, we would absolutely love it if you could rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening as it helps other people find the podcast. If you want to hang out with us online, you can find us on all socials with the handle at foundflourish. So you can tweet us, slide into our DMs, get in touch however you'd like to nominate a guest or let us know if you've got any questions about the topics we discussed during the series. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.